Welcome back to Channel 6, a Toronto hockey podcast where we talk all things Toronto hockey affiliated with the Leafs Nation website. We are so glad you're joining us this evening. For us, it is Friday evening, uh, March 12th. John and I are here to talk about the last uh, week and a half, couple weeks of hockey. We have some great guests joining us in just a couple minutes. How are you tonight, John? Or is it tonight where you are yet? It is. It's dark out. Kids are at least on their way to bed. Uh, it is officially the night and the weekend. Great. And how are you doing? I will say good for the purpose of keeping it brief. <laughs> <laughs> Brevity is good because we have some awesome guests joining us and so much to talk about over the last week and a bit um, in Leafsland and Toronto Hockeyland in general. Um, we've got some women's hockey to touch on. We've definitely got Leafs games to recap. We've got some goalie news and perhaps some goalie drama shaking up in Toronto. So there's just a ton to get to today. And we also are super lucky that one of our guests is a bit of a prospect expert. So we're going to hear from him on that too. So without further delay, I think we will jump in and we are joined by TLN staff members, Nick Richard and Roxanne tonight. Wait, Nick, do you go by Nick Richard or do you go by like the more French pronunciation? No, I, 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 the English one is good. <laughs> okay. As I'm saying it, I'm like, wait, I remember a conversation where I feel like this is not right. Okay, good. So Nick and Roxanne are joining us tonight, and we are thrilled that they're here. I'm going to um, ask Nick to tell us a little bit about himself first, where you can find him, what he's up to in the hockey world. Uh, yeah, well, uh, I'm one of your teammates at the Leafs Nation. Mostly covering Leafs coverage once in a while. Friends of mine. And I'm also part draft ranking. Over there you are the busy. And 2021 draft. Where, where can people find you on Twitter if they don't follow you? Your work and find you on Twitter. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Roxanne. I am one of the newer contributors to TLN. So you'll find a lot of my post games and a few social articles as well. Um, you can find me on Twitter at On The Rock. So two N's and R-O-X at the end. Um, yeah, follow me for my hot takes and some baking posts as well here and there. And the best memes ever. Yeah, that too. Some good quality memes. <laughs> yeah, Roxanne is a meme queen. So um, something that we like to ask people, John and I talked about this for ourselves on our first ever episode zero and then checked in with um, Scott and Philippe last time. So we're gonna come to you guys now and, and ask you what your Leafs origin story is. How did you become a Leafs fan? What was it that brought you to um, this life of misery and disappointment <laughs> up until this season, Nick? Uh, well, I think it probably started for me, like, as a kid, they were just, like, the most visible team on Hockey Night in Canada every weekend. It, it wasn't like today where you can 
have access to every NHL game that's happening. Um, and I was kind of raised on uh, Don Cherry, Rock'em Sock'em tapes. And he always uh, made a point of making Felix Potvin look really good. And I thought goalies were really cool. And Felix Potvin had the coolest gear when I was a kid. And that just really drew me in even further to the Leafs. And yeah, I guess it just kind of snowballed from there. And you're a pretty big Leafs fan nowadays, right? Uh, yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. <laughs> I haven't missed a game in close to five years now, so I'd say that's a fair assessment. Yeah, I think so. Roxanne, what about you? How did you become a Leafs fan? And I think you actually wrote about this a little bit for your first TLN article, didn't you? I did. So I kind of touched on like growing up with hockey. Um, well, I grew up just outside of Toronto, so grew up obviously with the Leafs. I literally would watch it almost every night with my two brothers and my parents. So kind of grew up with like Sunday and Cujo and that gang there. So it's fun to kind of watch them grow and just be part of that excitement, like in and around the city. Kind of fell off of hockey for a bit, actually, when I was growing up. Kind of stopped watching it. Got back into it. <laughs> Followed the Leafs, the Leafs and the Pens now. So don't shoot me, but I'm a bit of a two-team gal. But yeah, I got back into yeah, I got a lot more back into the Leafs once I started working for the team and uh, pursuing some uh, career in uh, sports marketing. So it's been good. Awesome. So um, the the other thing we like to do with people who are brave enough to join us is rapid fire questions. So this is just like very quick. First thing that comes to mind answers without even spending too much time thinking about it. So I'm going to start with Roxanne this time. I'm going to do question one for Roxanne and then question one for Nick and we'll go back and forth. So Roxanne, without thinking about it on the spot, what is your favorite day as a Leafs fan? Okay, so I got to go back into when I was working for MLSC in the Leafs in 2019. I was at the home opener for when they announced Tavares as the new captain and to kind of be in the arena right by the ice to feel like the energy of that was something that I can probably never forget. It was like electric, the building was buzzing, and for me, that's my favorite day. What about you, Nick? Um, I think for me, uh, the day that they won the lottery to, to draft Austin Matthews, uh, myself and my friend Cameron, who co-hosts the uh, Lamenting the Leafs show with me, we were watching the lottery together, and when, when the card came up and it became obvious the Leafs were going to be able to draft Austin Matthews, I think the two of us kind of, almost went flying through the roof of my house. So yeah, that was one of my favorite memories, at least in recent years. I remember that too. Okay. I'm going to, I love to do this and, and I know how much he doesn't like it, but I'm going to do it anyways, John, I'm putting you on the spot. What was your favorite day as a Leafs fan? Uh, well, I tried to actually remember that you were going to put me on the spot. So <laughs> I'm a bit more prepared than usual this time. Uh, it would probably be back in my early days of uh, Leafs fandom, and uh, I remember getting home from uh, school one day, and my dad just telling me, "It's like, did you hear the Leafs make made a trade?" And I was just like, "What they do, what they do." And it, he told me, basically laid out the Gilmore trade for me, and uh, that was just such an exciting time because that was when I was actually living in Toronto, and uh, we frequently got tickets to Maple Leaf Garden. So uh, knowing that we were going to be ex part of an uh, exciting time in uh, Leafs uh, history was, uh, that's probably the one that sticks out the most, was getting that kind of, hey, this is a big deal happening. 
I am a big Doug Gilmore fan, so I feel that. I have his jersey. Um, for me, I have two because that's one probably is super one my recent. Own, that's my only autographed jersey. <laughs> is it? Um, I think I have two. One is more recent and just like recency bias. But the um, even though we ended up losing that series, the comeback game against Columbus in the summer. Yeah, um, that's a good one. I, so I don't, but I fe- I went to bed when the Leafs went down. I was like, <laughs> "F this, I don't care," and I went to sleep. And then, by some miracle, my body woke me up, and and I like looked at my phone for the time, and I had like eighteen text messages from my two best friends who aren't Leafs fans but are big hockey fans of their own team, and they were like, "Get up! What are you doing? Where are you?" Done. <laughs> Everyone's like freaking out, and I woke up just in time to watch them win the game. Like watch it. It was. <laughs> And then everyone, it was, that was a great feeling of like connectivity in a time when we're all so disconnected. Um, but before that, I was a teenager the last time the Leafs won a playoff round. And I just very distinctly remember driving around with my friends, like through the city of Toronto, honking our horns and like going nuts with everyone in the city. That's like such an amazing feeling. So hopefully, hopefully those of you, well, it's just Roxanne now in Toronto might get to experience that this year. Hey, I don't um, have to be in Toronto to drive around honking my horn if the leaves That's win. true. That's true. But you might be the only one. So <laughs> you might just get yelled at. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, it's that's yeah. Nick's gonna go around and like try to get pe- rally people around him to come drive with him. It's gonna get booed. Um, <laughs> and not to mention, it's what it is two hours, an hour and a half. What time is it by you now, Nick? Uh, right now it is ten thirty p.m. Okay, so it's an hour later. So like, someone's gonna be like, my kids are sleeping. Anyway, <laughs> um, all right, let's go. I'm gonna I'm gonna put John on the spot again and start with him this time. Past or present Leafs player you love unconditionally, John? Uh, rest in peace, Peter Zezel. Uh, that's Ooh. again kind of going in the way back machine, but yeah. uh, those kind of '90s role players where it was um, Zezel, then Benoit Hogue, and Randy Wood, and kind of uh, if you were a third liner that occasionally killed penalties, it's there's a good chance I thought you were just the greatest player in the world. Okay, Roxanne, past or present Leafs player you love unconditionally? I think I got to say Kadri. I miss having him on the ice, just like watching him defend, score, get into fights. It was exciting, and I really wish he had a bit more of like a fair chance to go for the Cub with a better Leafs team. Nice. Nick? Uh, I'm going to go with Darcy Tucker, I guess, just because yeah. – like when you see a guy that literally left it all on the, I was gonna steal yours. Is another guy who kind of yeah. lays it all on the line every <laughs> night. But uh, Tucker was a guy like that who probably played with even more physicality and intensity. He would have go through a wall if it meant winning the game or even just getting a shot at somebody. I remember him trying to fight the entire Senators bench yeah. one time. Yeah, and he was it, he was pretty iconic. It didn't matter how dirty he could be. I loved him unconditionally. Even when he, he low-bridged Pekka that time, there's no defending that hit, but I, I didn't care. <laughs> he was wearing a Leafs jersey, and I loved him. Yeah. I, I feel like I don't even need to say mine. If if you're <laughs> listening to the pod and you know me at all, I know that all three of, of the people on uh, with me right now could say who mine was, but obviously the player I love unconditionally is Zach Hyman. That's not going to change. It's like a, you know, it's, it, that's just, 
I, I'm sure there are some past players I could go through. Darcy Tucker is a good one. Doug Gilmore is another, but Zach Hyman's got to be my sort of like end game there. Um, okay, last one. This is a fun one. So I'm going to start with you, Nick. If the Leafs were a sitcom, which one would they be? <laughs> oh, God. Um, I don't know. I don't really watch a lot of television. So uh, that's a tough one for me. Um, I'll go Seinfeld because it's this show about nothing and the Leafs have been unable to accomplish anything for most of my life. So I'll go with that. <laughs> I love that. Roxanne, what about you? <laughs> I was thinking it's a good place just because like watching that show, there's a lot of like highs and lows and I kind of feel the same way with Kentucky. So yeah. I like that one too. All right, John, you're going to, you're going to stun us with one. What is it? I'm going to go Big Bang Theory because <laughs> it's an absolute train wreck, but we have people inexplicably tuning in every week, and I don't know why. All right. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Cheers because the Leafs are the center of the hockey world, so everybody knows their name. <laughs> I thought that was a good one. I think, I think that one <laughs> works the best. I like that one. <laughs> that, that's good, yeah. It's it's not fair because I'm reading these off off of the page and I know them ahead of time, so I get to like plan my answers while you're all talking. So <laughs> I have like a slight advantage. But um, all right, so that's our little sort of like fun get to know you activity. It's like an icebreaker at camp. But let's let's get down to it. It has been um, an interesting couple weeks for the Leafs. I think the last time. John and I did the pod. We had not yet had the three game series in Edmonton. So let's like go back to Edmonton and talk about the games since like those games and the games since. So just any Leafs thoughts you've got right now, I'm sure Nick is like itching to, to get some thoughts out there, but let's go back to Edmonton and, and walk through the games um, that we've had since then. What do you think, Nick? What are, what are, what are we seeing from the Leafs right now? I just think that you're seeing a team that has found a way or found different ways to win that we haven't really seen them accomplish in the past, uh, being able to lock it down the way they did against Edmonton and, you know, two of the most talented offensive players that there are in the game, holding them off the score sheet uh, as well as they did. And just the overall defensive play while still being able to generate offense at the other end and just showing the ability to play really complete hockey and, I don't know if there's going to be a team in this division that's able to match that. Even the, the you know, the, the losses against Vancouver, I, I don't, I didn't find them to be as upsetting or frustrating as they may have been in years past because even, you know, on those nights where the Leafs clearly didn't have it, they still like worked to the end. They were generating chances to the end, even if passes were kind of going into each other's feet and things like that. I just think they look like a more mature group and even when they aren't winning, they're still doing the right things and kind of like that, what Kyle Dubas always says about trusting the process. I think even when they aren't getting the results, the process has been mostly good and that's one of the most encouraging things so far, I think. I think that's really yeah. true. It's uh, they're they're losing in better ways than they have in previous years where it's you can walk away from the game and go like, Oh, they either outshot their opponent or like, uh, they got goalied, but, uh, the rest of the team looked well. And, um, yeah, it, it's, 
it's so much less pessimistic than even like those first couple games in the season when we didn't know what to expect of the Leafs. Now it's uh, at least, okay, well, they can kind of coach that out of them at some point. Yeah, I think yeah, Keith Rocky. has done a great job doing so, like kind of helping this team get to the next level and develop that maturity. Definitely. Roxanne, what are you, what are you, you've done a couple uh, post games over the last few games. So what are you thinking? What are you seeing? Um, well, I kind of do agree with Nick. So like watching their play, it's very like smart hockey. They're not just like aggressive on ice. You can tell they're thinking they're connecting with one another, which is really nice to see. I find like in previous years, a lot of the teams, well, like the Leafs teams, and they would start to lose. You can tell they were getting extremely frustrated on the ice. If this team doesn't lose, or if they're not winning, rather, like, they're not giving up. They're still shooting the puck. They're making their plays. They're still going at it. They're not frustrated and, like, they're not hot-headed, which is a lot nicer to see in the previous seasons. So I think, like, that connection with the players is good to see. And I think last night's game is, like, you know, like, as to how they've been playing, they did not give up. That game shouldn't have been as close as it was on, like, with the score, but they did a really good job last night. Yeah, last night's game, um, so again, we're recording on Friday. Last night, the Leafs beat the Jets in overtime. Um, even though they outshot the Jets, they outchanced the Jets. Um, Hellebuck was a robot once again, and um, they had to take it to overtime. But in the end, they were able to uh, snap their three-game losing streak and pull out a win. Um, let's just let's focus on that game for a couple minutes, uh, maybe just the, the two games against the Jets in general for now, because I think, you know, we saw the three games in Edmonton and then the two games in Vancouver, there was a lot of, well, they're at the end of a road trip. They're tired. It's a lot of games in a short time. And all of that is true, but then they came home and they dropped the first game against the Jets and really had to sort of push hard to pull out the win in overtime yesterday. So thoughts on that, where, what are do the reflections that sort of Nick started us talking about just now apply to those two games too, or is there some, you know, anything concerning happening there? Who wants to jump in? Nick, you jump in first. <laughs> uh, I think, like I said about the, the, the other games in Vancouver, it was, it was still about kind of sticking to that process and keeping on with the things that have made them successful and just kind of having faith that eventually they're going to break through. I mean, you can only test a goalie so much and Hellebuck was, was standing on his head for, for two games and you can only, you can only fire the puck at him so much and, and eventually they did break through and it was just encouraging to see them stick with it, I think. And I think with last yeah. night too, it was, um, after, I mean, going through uh, uh, longest losing streak of the season and uh, inexplicably sticking with the same lineup uh, throughout that entire process, it was nice last night to kind of see, like, okay, we're going to shake things up a bit. Some acknowledgement that uh, some stuff wasn't working, and I'm not sure that I'll say, hey, Kenny Augustino to the... Uh, uh, rescue or um, anything along those lines, but uh, the later shifts in the game where um, seeing uh, Nylander with Thornton and uh, and some changes like that, uh, I think were uh, helpful as well. The 
the in-game acknowledgement that uh, it's time to move on from the existing lines uh, seem to make a difference. The blender, as they like to call it, right? I do and love then, the blender. Yeah, the blender um, and moving, you know, having Hyman play with Matthews and Marner for a little. I know that I somewhat facetiously tweeted are Hyman, Matthews, Marner, the best line in the league right now. But like, you know, maybe they're up there. They were pretty good. So there's that. Um, since we're talking about the Leafs games, though, I think it makes sense to shine a bit of a spotlight on the goalie situation as um, many are talking about it. So um, let's just sort of like elephant in the room. Freddie has been, if we're being generous, inconsistent this season. Um, and he has struggled a little bit. So where what are we thinking, Roxanne? I'm going to have you kick us off with this. But what are your Freddie reflections right now? What are you thinking about him? I feel like I'm also a fan of goalies in general. And I do like Anderson. He does need to go. Like, the team in front of him is playing well. But he lets in some shots that should not be getting to the back of the net. And, you know, like... Like he's either playing well some days or it's like fatigue. Like I don't know how to describe his play sometimes. He has to go because it's just it's not working anymore. Nick, you and I had a, a bit of a conversation about this. Was this just yesterday? Because time has no meaning. But um, <laughs> I think that I had some thoughts that you were kind of surprised by. So what's your Freddie take right now? Well. You know what? I think our colleague over at TLN, Mark Norman, put it really well by saying Freddie has been okay, and that's probably not okay. Yeah. Like he he's been fine, but I mean, if you're paying five million dollars for a, a nine oh two save percentage, I, I think that money could be better spent elsewhere. First of all, um, he. <laughs> It's not just about the fact that he may let in some bad goals once in a while or untimely goals that kind of suck the momentum out of the team. It's He doesn't often enough come up with the save when the team needs it. You know, we saw it against Winnipeg the other night when, it, not that the Mason Appleton goal was a soft one by any means, it was a nice goal, but when the Leafs are pushing for a tying goal and generating chance after chance and Connor Hellebuck is standing on his head at the other end and the first shot attempt that Freddie sees in five to ten minutes ends up in the net, that's deflating for the entire group. And I, yeah. I think that's become a trend over the last couple of years, even in the, in the series with Columbus. You look at Freddie's numbers, they're really strong. He mostly played well. But again, it's the timing of those goals, even the first one of the series, um, and then the, the one in Game 5 as well, it just totally deflates the team. And I think that it's becoming more apparent that it's an issue. Well, yeah, that was sort of, and I took a, a different angle on it, but but also was touching on the idea that the team and the and Freddie, there seems to be a disconnect. There, there's some disconnect because for whatever reason, and this is all I test because um, I, I very publicly like to sort of jokingly acknowledge that I am not a data or analytics person at all, but you know, the team seems to play better and defend better in front of Jack Campbell for sure. And even in front of Hutchinson this season, like, and, and whatever that disconnect is, whether it's that they're almost like anticipating that deflating 
goal against or what. There's something going on that 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 Freddie and the team just don't seem to be clicking anymore. John, what do you think? Well, I mean, for one, it's Campbell and Hutchinson to some extent were kind of brought in by Dubas because they fit with Dubas's plan. It's Anderson still um, more or less a relic from the uh, Lou and um, and uh, Babcock era, where it's he was their guy. He was brought in to play uh, behind a Babcock team, and he did very well in that role. Since Keith has come in, there's uh, that's been pretty much the start of the major uh, issues with Anderson. Not so much the playoff issues. He uh, certainly was struggling in Game Sevens before that, but um, I, I think that what we're seeing with Anderson is he's probably not a fit as a Keith goalie. And uh, the, in my opinion, the goalie always needs to mesh with the system, unless you're talking about that really upper stratosphere of goaltenders where it's Hasek in their prime Lundqvist uh, type goaltenders that uh, will uh, work around whatever team. Uh, right now I'd say Hellebuck would probably be a goaltender that you could kind of drop in and and play behind any team, but uh, I can't imagine Winnipeg's too willing to part with him right now. Right. I think um, one thing that has definitely become clear with Anderson is that the Leafs cannot commit term or big dollars to him when his contract expires at the end of the season. So this is a great, great segue into the uh, trade that happened today. So it (laughs) at least looks like the Leafs are um, uh, trying to build up some goaltending depth, right? With our new goalie, whose name we're all still working on. Wait, I've got it here if everyone's ready. Okay, yep, go for it, Nick. It. <laughs> the, the, the Leafs' newest goaltender is named... Vaini Vevelainen. Did we get that? Vaini <laughs> Vevelainen. Okay, so this is great because our our friend Doug, a few of us are friends with Doug, I literally was just scrolling Twitter right before now, and he responded to someone saying, this is easily one of the most fun names to say. It sounds like Five Alive In. Which it kind of does. <laughs> it kind of sounds like that's what they're saying. But anyways, um, Vaney, uh, who the Leafs acquired from Columbus, um, is yet another goalie in the uh, Leafs sort of goalie chain. Um, and what is that? What does that signal to you? What does that? What does that trade make you think is going on here? If um, I may, uh, yeah. go ahead, John. <laughs> I, I think more than anything else, it um, speaks to uh, wanting to get uh, uh, Miko Lutton in a fair shot or a uh, fair shot somewhere else where he can uh, possibly uh, fit into an NHL team. I think that it's a chance for the Leafs to add a bit of depth, but uh, based off of um, what uh, Kat uh, Silverman shared about. Uh, our new goaltender, uh, it seems like there's a lot of athletic uh, ability. He's fast. He's um, He's uh, got good lateral movement, uh, things like that. But he projects more as a potential backup. And um, he uh, struggles with uh, reading the game at a high level. And 
uh, that to me that sounds a lot more a lot like uh, a lot of the uh, criticism we currently have of Anderson. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, I was going to say pretty much what John said. I think the trade was more to do with getting letting in a better opportunity after it didn't work out for him here in Toronto than it was anything else. But in the process, Dubas was able to maybe address a spot on the depth chart that has become a little thin after Dell was claimed on uh, waivers earlier this season. Uh, they've been forced to kind of keep Joseph Wall on the taxi squad because they're required to have a goaltender on the taxi squad. And with the injuries to Anderson and Campbell over the last little while, he's kind of been in purgatory a little bit. And uh, he actually just got into his first game tonight. It was his first game in over a year. Uh, the Marlies just wrapped up a 4-3 victory. Joseph Wall looked pretty good. He stopped 31 of 34 shots. Uh, it was definitely oh, wow. nice to see in his first game in over a year. Um, as far as Vevelinen goes, I, I think it's we all know goaltenders are kind of voodoo. Um, he's a kid that put up some really nice numbers over in uh, the Finnish Liga playing professional hockey over there. Uh, he's a flyer. He, it's just someone to add to the organization. He's as capable of going out and having a big year with the Marlies as Joseph Wall or Ian Scott is. So I, I think it's just another lottery ticket at the goaltending position. I don't know if it necessarily says much about what the plan with Anderson is. I don't think that they would be relying on a, a tandem of Jack Campbell and Vaney Vevelin and going into next season or anything like that. So, <laughs> Well, so let's talk about next season. Um, and Roxanne, why don't you weigh in for us here first? But what do we think, what do we think we're going to see in terms of goalies for the Leafs next season? What, um, where are we at with that? I would like to see Campbell get a bit more um, chances to start. I do like his play on the ice. He's very like calm and collective, which I appreciate from a goalie. But I don't know who like would be the good fit for a starter at the moment. Because when I think about it, like Anderson, so like Nick kind of said, you can't really rely on the tandem of the rest of the goalies that we have hitting up the taxi squad to take us through the rest of the season. So I'm not entirely too sure who else would fit the starter for the team. But I do like Campbell. I would like to see him start a bit more. But I don't think he's ready to be a starter for the Leafs yet. Yeah, they definitely have to have like a larger sample size with Campbell before they can even rely on him as like a main part of a tandem going into next season. So I think that his injury troubles have been especially frustrating just because it was so important for them to get a look at him in an extended run of games this season. Um, either way, I think that we're going to see the Leafs spending less money in total at the goaltending position. I don't think that they're going to go out and sign another five or $6 million goaltender. That's a big reason why I don't think Anderson will be back. I think Dubas kind of understands that it's a bit of a, a market inefficiency. The difference between a most two and a half million dollar goaltenders and what we're getting out of Freddie right now, isn't that great. So I think that they'll probably search out a cheaper option to kind of team up with, Campbell for next year, but it would still be nice to get a better look at Campbell down the stretch this season. Where do we think Freddie ends up? Where is he going to land? Any thoughts on that? <laughs> My theory is that he's bound for Arizona and he'll try and uh, coax his uh, Leafs BFF to join him. Don't uh... you dare, John. <laughs> okay, but so this is where I, with my gossip hat on, tell you that I think that there might be some. Uh, 
uh, some trouble in paradise between those two. <laughs> well, that works, saying, Leafs, think, uh, that works for the Leafs. That works for the Leafs. I I think that I actually made a joke about this much earlier in the season when Freddie started like really badly, and I was like, "Uh oh, are Freddie and are uh, are Freddie and Austin like not getting along?" And I think Austin Matthews took a couple games to score also at the beginning of the season. So I was like, "Oh no, what's going on with their friendship?" But quite <laughs> honestly, like um, just if you follow players on social media and things like that, they since Austin Matthews got COVID and Freddie left Arizona things have seemed to cool off in that friendship. So I don't know. I'm just saying might might be to our advantage if Freddie leaves and things aren't so fantastic between them. Just putting that out there. Um, are there any goalies around the league? Um, I know, I think John, I think you were the one who mentioned the idea of sort of like a Jack Campbell veteran goalie tandem. Did you mention that a little while back? As like uh-huh. something you would hope for? Yeah, I think I've floated that idea a few times where it's, and I, I agree with Nick about uh, about kind of exploiting that uh, market uh, inefficiency and going uh, cheap on goalies. Uh, like looking at the free agent list for the summer, uh, names like Peter Mrazek and like Yaroslav, Yaroslav Halak, like those are probably the names that have uh, the most appeal to me. Uh, it's Brian Elliott could fit into that category as well but that's such a uh, uh, a bigger risk uh, to go into a tandem where it's uh, Campbell and Elliott for an entire season at least with Halak and Mrazek you could kind of see them uh, leading the charge and Campbell if he uh, shows that he can grab the number one spot uh, no one's really going to be put out by that Um, but I mean if you're looking at bigger names it's the Leafs wouldn't really get their money's worth out of uh, older Tuka Rask, nor do I think he wants to come here. Or um, look at like Philip Grubauer is probably the money goalie in the summer, and uh, no one should be spending the eight million dollars that he'll end up getting. Now, if what if we're not talking free agency and there's some sort of trade in the works? Is there someone you'd target, Nick? I feel like. I have the sense that you're on the edge of your seat and you want to say something. <laughs> well, I was actually I was going to say that once the off season does roll around, there could be other options that present themselves that maybe don't seem totally obvious right now. A, a lot can change between now and then for for teams around the league. Um, one thing I do want to say is I I think that like I don't know if anyone here watches football or follows it very closely, but there's been kind of a, a change in the last number of years where teams don't tend to commit a lot of money or term to running backs. They kind of cycle through the position because it's so volatile year to year, like what kind of production you're going to get out of a guy. So at this point in the, in the NFL, it's only the very best running backs that get those big contracts, like the equivalent of a Andre Vasilevsky or a Connor Hellebuck or something like that. And it's almost like if you don't have two good running backs or two good goaltenders, you don't have any. Mm-hmm. And I, I think being locked into a guy like we have been with Anderson for the duration of his contract, especially while Babcock was here and he was very clearly the guy and that was the role that they saw best for him. 
it kind of limits your flexibility to even give another guy a chance to show he's any good or, or someone that you could rely on for less money. Um, it, it's going to be a tough balance to the rest of the season for, for Keith, especially if, if Campbell gets healthy and starts playing well. Because, again, Anderson's been fine. And even though it's only been a handful of games, Campbell has been better than fine. And yeah. I, I think that the Leafs are definitely going to give him every opportunity once he is healthy to, to show that he can kind of shoulder that load. Because best case scenario for the Leafs is that the guy who's signed for next season at $1.6 shows that he can get the job done. Totally. And as we're talking about contracts, I think that um, we need to acknowledge that um, any conversation about extending Freddie uh, needs to be considered with the fact in mind that Zach Hyman also needs a contract. Speaking and of I, I think it's player. pretty obvious which one of those guys is more important. Like if we all had to pick one of those guys to retain beyond this season, I think it would be unanimous. Right. And I, I mean... I don't know how much, you know, some people talk about this, but how much media coverage or the way a player is talked about when they are a pending free agent, um, you know, has to do with whether they're trying to test the market or what. But Zach Hyman is all over the place right now in terms of the media talking about him and talking him up. Um, and, you know, they're they're asking his teammates about him and it's just everywhere right now. So, um, John, I, if there is dissent, I feel like you're going to be it, but what are your Hyman thoughts right now? Well, I mean, I think that I'm notoriously cheap when it comes to wingers uh, in general, where um, the Leafs are already spending too much money in their top six for wingers. So um, Hyman is definitely one where I'd kind of make that exception and kind of say, like, you know, if he's at four million, you still kind of throw Hyman the four million, and you make cuts to uh, the salary in other parts of uh, of the roster, or you make do in other places. But uh, the second that you start creeping up over four million with Hyman, um, my my mind shifts pretty quickly from keeping him to uh, to letting him walk. Do you think he would walk? I don't think he would, and that's part of the reason why I'd, I'd just kind of be completely attached to that uh, that four million number because I mean the Leafs still have um, uh, the option of paying out the majority of that through signing bonus, which a lot of other teams are going to be reluctant to do. Um, he's got his weird little legal ads that he does that are generating some money for him in uh in toronto that he might not get in other towns and um yeah it's toronto's uh big children's book market i'm sure compared to a lot of other places as well uh i mean throw in throw in things like that and just kind of like the the family setup he's got there and um as much as he's excelled, he still is kind of like that elevated role player type uh, player. And he, if he's a player if he doesn't that fit in somewhere else, on. exactly. It's it's something where it's like, do you want to go somewhere for six million a year and get bought out after year one because 
you just didn't fit that system like you fit Toronto. Yeah, I, and and I, oh, sorry, Mary. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I think he's a smart enough guy to assess all that when he's thinking about it. Yeah, and I think all those connections that he has to the franchise and to the city are kind of part of the reason that there's been some talk that he might be the guy who gets that max term eight-year deal just to kind of keep that cap hit down. And to John's point about making an exception in this case for a guy like Hyman where he normally wouldn't, is there anyone on this team that has maybe earned that long-term security or the the right to be an exception to whatever contract rules the team might have in place than Zach Hyman? Like he's he's done everything for this team, and he brings it all every night. I think he's just a guy you've got to do whatever you can to keep in the fold. But I think there's mutual interest, and despite what some other teams might be willing to offer him, I think his heart's in Toronto, and it's where he'll end up. So the thing is, is that often when when one tries to make that argument, they're met with, "Well, everyone said the same thing about Mitch Marner." What, Roxanne, what do you think the differences are there between Zach Hyman and Mitch Marner in this kind of situation? I think a big thing is that it's also just like, I don't recall Hyman old, but he's getting older. And Mitch, like he's grown so much since he's been with the Leafs. Like you can see how much of a better player he's become. And Hyman, yes, he's become a better player. He's making a smarter play. He deserves his flowers, but it's like, I can see Mitch like long-term with the Leafs, ideally, hopefully winning some cups, but I don't know. Like, I still think Mitch gets paid way too much, but I don't know where the fit is right now for Hyman. So you're saying you don't think that it's worth it to to do whatever you can to keep him around? I mean, to an extent, like, he deserves to get paid, but you don't also want to overpay because has right. to make sense it's still a business at the end of the day like he's i think at 2.25 right now so i was kind of thinking the same aligns with uh, john maybe like 4.4 4.5 max in my head but i don't see him getting like six or seven which i've seen rumblings about like that doesn't make sense no i don't think that's realistic I, and if some other team is willing to give him six million a year and he wants to take it i think you just have to bite that bullet and wave goodbye it, can't hamstring yourself for the future like that no matter how much you love a player like we said those are the kind of contracts that gms have made mistakes on every year and uh, i don't think dubas wants to get into the business of making those kind of mistakes well and i mean if you look at like the pipeline which uh we'll see if uh, this gets segued into talk about prospects but if, <laughs> if you look at the uh, pipeline of of wingers coming up where it's i mean there's nick robertson there's uh Amaroff, there's um, uh, Abramoff, there's there's options coming for uh, the Leafs on the wing to have kind of affordable entry level uh, uh, deals um, to uh, fit into probably the uh, second and third line in the next couple of years. Um, where I kind of my take is always it's like you know i'd rather have hyman around and again like guys like joey anderson as well i should include in that because i i think that he'll be a good fit for the leafs too uh but isn't he the one that they were saying is like the next zach hyman yeah he's the hyman jr guy so i mean that's where i, it's, I, I just want to say that that's that's probably like 
overselling or or heightening expectations a little bit too much for Joey Anderson. Like th- okay. there's some s- similarities, but I, I think that if anyone's expecting him to replicate what Hyman does exactly, I think the, he does uh, it on maybe a third, fourth line situation where it's like, oh, here's a guy leading a four check for the sheltered scoring line or something like that. Uh, yeah. Or or can maybe be like the oh here's a mild offensive threat on the penalty kill or something like that. But yeah, it, he actually scored a shorthanded goal tonight. Oh, nice! <laughs> Way to prove my point, buddy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I think that uh, to my I, uh, point was just um, I mean Hyman's kind of that unique option that uh, the Leafs don't really have that kind of aggressive forechecker, and where you do have some smallish. Uh, uh, affordable wingers come in. Uh, that's where I always kind of go. You know, is time still running out for Mitch uh, Mitch Marner as a Leaf? Uh, I don't think it actually is, but in my mind, it's still. Uh, but in your mind, it is. In my mind, it's at some point. It's you get you get some assets back, and you get uh, some additional cap space to probably work with uh, in a flat cap era, and. I know that uh, saying that Nick Robertson or Amaroff are going to uh, replace Mitch Marner is not 100%, and um, they'd only be replacing to a minor piece of that. But uh, I think that what Hyman brings is a lot more unique to the Leafs lineup and um, benefits them on regular shifts a lot more than uh, those um Mitch decides to show up and be an offensive god type shifts. Um well since you not so subtly hinted at this John why don't we <laughs> shift a little bit to talking about prospects and I know this is sort of this is Nick's expertise and definitely not mine but uh <laughs> Nick why don't you tell us a little bit about about who we can expect to see on the Leafs uh squad in the next season or two or maybe even later this season. Well, it kind of uh, jumping off of John's point about having some of these cheaper options maybe on the way, that might even allow the Leafs to go a little bit over their intended budget to keep Hyman in the fold. Because if you've got guys like Robertson who can come in and be a, a regular in the lineup for 800 and some thousand dollars on the cap, and then you've got another guy like say Philip Hollander or or some or even Joey Anderson who was making seven hundred thousand or seven hundred and fifty thousand or something like that. All of those dollars matter and can be spent elsewhere on the roster. So having that kind of pipeline of of talent readily available and being able to cycle through those players, it it, it provides flexibility for what Dubas can do with the rest of his lineup. I kind of wrote about that in uh, I. I for those that don't know, I put out kind of a prospect roundup every Friday at the Leafs Nation. And uh, I kind of wrote about that this week with all the trade speculation that there has been as of late. Um, it kind of uh, amplifies the importance of restocking the prospect pool and not only being able to bring those players into the lineup, but being able to deal them for for pieces that will help the current team if you think that you're group is just a piece or two away from making a long run which the that's the position the Leafs are in right now and it was only a couple of years ago that they didn't really have the prospect capital to to spend 
and bring in significant additions. Um, as far as, as guys that are probably closest to joining the Leafs, I'd say like John touched on Joey Anderson. Uh, I'd say he, he probably spends most of this season with the Marlies barring any injuries with the Leafs. Um, I think Philip Hollander, who he's already under contract. He was acquired in the, uh, in the Casper Kapanen trade. He's played out this season on loan over in Sweden with Lulia. Um, he's really picked it up in the second half. And he's another player that sort of like, I know John's going to laugh at me for this, but sort of like Ilya Mikheyev, who even if he isn't putting up points and generating offense, the, the other things that he does make him a valuable part of the lineup like he can still impact the game in a positive way even if he's not generating offense he's kind of a responsible player i know a lot of people uh seem to think he's an option at center but he's mostly played wing the last couple of years i I think that he could push for a job in the bottom six with the leafs next season once he comes over um semyon der ergenshensev or let's go with sda um, he just finished up his loan over in the KHL. His team was eliminated. They got swept in the first round of the playoffs over there. He's on his way back to Toronto, and he's going to join the Marlies after quarantining. Uh, so it'll be good for him to get some experience in at the American Hockey League level. Uh, he's still probably a couple of years away from pushing for an NHL job, but it's exciting to have him in the pro system and under the watchful eye of the Leafs development staff. Um, is there anyone else on the radar, John, that you've kind of been keeping an eye on as far as proximity to the to the Leafs? Well, I think, um, well, I mean, Amaroff is always kind of the interesting one uh, because he's really interesting right now. There's a lot of talk about what his contract status is going to be when whenever the KHL playoffs wrap up. Yeah, so it's. I think that again, like. He might not be uh, as much as it's like, hey, high draft pick. He he could end up fitting into uh, the Leafs as early as next season. That's probably not the case for him. Uh, um, but I think that yeah, he's he's going to be kind of the uh, make or break on uh, how the organization feels about him. Will be kind of what sets the pace for uh, direction they go in the next couple of years. Uh, but yeah, it seems like it's a it's a steep drop off after that. There's been some real unfortunate injuries, like uh, Nick uh, Ambrubesi. Uh, yeah, he's missed um, his entire yeah, missed his entire like, year. And Ian Scott and goal has been kind of uh, same situation where it's like injuries have just kind of stonewalled uh, what looked like really promising uh, uh, developments. Um, I guess the other two uh, big ones to look at are, oh, there's my dog hacking up a lung in the back. Uh, <laughs> but the um, two uh, Finnish uh, second rounders uh, from uh, this year's draft, I think would be the two that kind of stand out as interesting to watch as well, if not still a few years out. Yeah, well, they're already playing at the professional level over there. And, and in Nimala's case, he's been playing at the pro level since he was a 17-year-old. So that's pretty impressive for a defenseman. Uh, but he, he's also suffered some poor injury luck this season after his strong performance at the World Juniors. He 
he returned to Finland and he missed the next month with a, an undisclosed injury and he returned and played only, I think, six games before suffering another upper body injury that's kept him out for, I think, once he returns, it'll be six to eight weeks. Um, so he's suffered some unfortunate luck as well. Uh, and another defenseman that is definitely closer to the NHL roster, especially after today's trade, uh, Timothy Lilligren is playing really well. I know that it, it seems like he's been around forever, but I, I think he's still only 21 years old. It, there's still a lot of upside left there with him. And he, while he could be an asset that gets moved in a, in a trade before the deadline to bring in some help for the current roster, I, I'd be definitely hesitant to, to move him with the, the progress that he's shown so far this season. And the last guy that is knocking on the door right now would be Nick Robertson, who's he's been out for over a week now. He's suffered an injury with the Marlies. Um, he hasn't exactly been dominant with the Marlies so far, but he's been productive. He's got nine points in 10 games. Uh, the Leafs actually recalled him to the taxi squad uh, yesterday, but it may have just been a paper transaction to kind of fulfill taxi squad requirements at, since he's injured and they didn't have to waste the spot on someone who could have played. Um, but with the OHL potentially returning soon, the, the Leafs are going to be forced to make a decision on Robertson. Uh, once the OHL does get up and running, he'll no longer be eligible to play with the Marlies or be on the taxi squad. So at that point, um, the Leafs will either have to keep him on their, their main roster or send him back to Peterborough. So I think that we're probably going to see Robertson, once he's healthy here, uh, get into some games with the Leafs just so they have a better idea of just what they have in him and what the, the best thing to do with him in terms of uh, where he's going to play out his season is. So in case it isn't clear yet to anyone listening, Nick is absolutely our resident expert on all things Leafs prospects. And like he said, he does a weekly roundup on Fridays that you should check out. Um, Roxanne, I don't know how into prospects you are. This is definitely not my area of expertise, but I just wanted to give you the opportunity to jump in if there was anything you wanted to add or even anything you wanted to ask. Definitely no way that I know anything about the prospect. So it's whatever basically Nick posts, I will read it. But I don't really keep up with the prospects, but I kind of did look at the Marley's roster out of curiosity to see who's doing what this season so far. Um, Brooks and Hollowell kind of like caught my eye. They have pretty good um, picture of the teams they've played before. And then um, Brooks, he's played 11 games, has three goals, seven assists right now. So I think, you know, you never know <laughs> why it might happen. But yeah. Yeah, it caught my eye, so I was like, this seems interesting. But aside from what like I saw online, I just do not keep up with the prospects. I'm sorry. <laughs> you are not alone. It's, you know, sometimes there's just too much hockey consuming my brain to add. Also, there's the fact that the young players are too young, and it, I get worried, and I'm like, are you eating well? Have you had enough water? <laughs> Did you get enough sleep? And at least when they like make it to the NHL, I can convince myself that they're sort of adults. But when we're looking at them, and they're, they're that's why I called our new goalie, what is he, 24? Is that what someone said? He's 24, yeah, he's right? 24. Yeah, he's our baby goalie, because he's not going to be on the Leafs roster. He's probably going to play for the Marlies, and therefore he is a child, no matter what. <laughs> 
So that's that's my perspective on it. Um, now we are, you know, we've been chatting for a while and it's been great. Before we say goodnight, I did want to make sure that we touched on the fact that the other Toronto hockey team, the Toronto Six, will be back playing for the Isabel Cup on March 26th and March 27th. Everyone is aware of this, right? We all know that the yes. NWHL is resuming play in Boston. The first Toronto, Toronto Six has the top seed, which is really exciting. But here's a fun little um, ironic twist of fate for everyone. The first game will be Toronto versus Boston. <laughs> that always goes well. No yeah, bad vibes so there. No bad vibes in Boston, Toronto versus Boston in Boston. And it's just one game. Winner moves on to the finals. So that is going to be on Friday, March 26th at 5 p.m. And um, I am assuming that either right before or right after that, John and I will have lots to say about that game. So not too much to say this far out, um, but that is coming up and should be on everyone's radar because that's the other Toronto team we should be cheering for. And the um, PWHPA had concluded their Dream Gap Tour this past weekend. They had two weekends of tournaments, one in New York hosted by the Rangers and one in Chicago hosted by the Blackhawks, um, which is, of course, the other women's hockey organization that is operating right now. So that was a chance to see some really big name players playing. Did anyone catch any of those? It was hard because um, they're only broadcast on certain networks. Did anyone catch any of those games? I was only able to catch highlights on Twitter, unfortunately. Yeah. I think it was last weekend. Um, last weekend, I was able to see a bit where it's um, it's kind of a nice little moment. I was uh, went to go into uh, my son's uh, room to wake him up from a nap and was in there with him for a few minutes while the game was still on. And my daughter went out to uh, the living room and kind of looked at the TV and she's like girls are playing hockey girls are playing hockey <laughs> oh, and no, I was so just nice. kind of it was just kind of nice to, to hear that kind of enthusiasm and that kind of appreciation of like hey that's it, it builds the fan base it's good for the sport it's it's good for everyone that it that hockey starts becoming more inclusive because uh it certainly isn't <laughs> right and um, well, that tagline about growing the game is is legit it's a real thing yeah. when little girls and the visibility is huge for it yeah and little girls mm -hmm. see people who look like them playing hockey and it it means a lot that's that's, that's really great matters yeah. Yes. Representation matters. All kinds of representation matters. So um, that's such a lovely story, John. Thank you. Um, I'm like, why is this the first time I'm hearing this story? Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, so, but I think we'll have a lot more to say about the Toronto Six also, um, and just to sort of put it out there, and this is not based on anything other than um, watching sort of social media trends and my own um, evaluation of human behavior, but I have, I, I was, I was fascinated to see that the NWHL tweeted about the Dream Gap Tour, which is kind of the first time there's been any like positive acknowledgement between the two women's organizations, which does kind of signal to me that we might be seeing a shift in the way women's hockey is structured and which organization kind of ends up being the organization. Um, you know, there, there's definitely talk about the fact that there's two competing systems and one of them has, you know, the buy-in of the NHL and the support of the league. So um, that should be interesting to watch unfold also. But 
before all of that happens, we do have a Toronto team in the playoffs playing for the Isabel Cup, and that should be really, really fun to watch. Yeah, so. and I think that that's the best point on it. Is like it's we can kind of tell which one is the dominant one at this point, yeah. but um, mm-hmm. there's no reason why uh, we can't watch and support uh, both in the meantime until um, things get sorted out. Right, exactly. It's about growing the game. Nick, what were you going to add? Sorry. I was just going to say, the writing does seem to be on the wall a little bit, but even though it may seem like, you know, one organization is losing out, in the end, I think, on the whole, it's what's best for for all the women involved and the women's game in general. So I think that uh, we're definitely moving towards uh, a positive resolution here in the future. Yeah, I think that once, um, oh, Roxanne, I want to also let you jump in, but I think that once the Isabel Cup wraps up and they can sort of like put a, put a check mark on the season and have a winner, it'll feel more like, okay, we sort of, we've had these accomplishments. Let's have some serious conversations about what comes next. Yeah. Roxanne, did you want to jump in? I don't want to cut you off. Oh, it's just like, I'm very torn all the time when I like think about the PWHP and NWHL because it's just like, perfect world it's one league they kind of work together they'd be like a super league with all these women that are playing and playing so well in both leagues but it's unfortunate how like political things kind of get between the leagues and with the buy-in from the nhl so hopefully they can kind of figure things out because the women that are playing in both these leagues deserve to i don't know they deserve to have their like time on ice and be on like the big networks and get people to watch them instead of having to you know, like struggle to stream on Twitch or whatever it is. They deserve to be broadcasted nationally. Like, why not? And I wonder yeah, if the ESPN relationship with the NHL is uh, going to um, end up benefiting the women's game as well, too. Because, uh, I mean, ESPN, with their uh, number of sub-networks and things like that, uh, they've they've done a lot for growing uh, the WNBA. And I... I at least when I lived in the States, um, they had ESPNW. I don't know whether that's still a thing, but whether just kind of the commitment to uh, uh, highlighting women's sports as well uh, that um, you wouldn't have seen if NBC was uh, still the uh, primary uh, um, NHL partner, I believe. Yeah, I just kind of hope that they can take the best of both organizations when if and when they come together. Because I think that one of the defining factor, one of the defining sort of characteristics of the NWHL is the fan engagement. Um, Even though Twitch maybe isn't the ideal way to watch games, the fact that the Twitch chat was so involved and engaged and 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 um, participatory the way that the social media team engages I think that the fan engagement um, is unique to women's hockey and and makes it really special so if we do come to a point where the P is sort of the quote unquote winner the, the, the sort of the way of being that ends up um, that they end up going with I hope that they can take some of these really cool unique fun, things that the NWHL has built up and keep them going. I agree. I'm very impressed with what the NWHL has done for, like, obviously they stopped the season, but during the season with, like, social media and everything, it's very impressive how they've kind of engaged people online, people that might not have watched women's hockey before. It's been very entertaining to see how people are just excited to watch it. Yeah, I yeah. think their reaction was really great through the 
the whole what they were able to accomplish in the initial attempt at the season it, it seemed to be received well the numbers look good on on the twitch streams and yeah just more steps forward for the women's game is always good yeah definitely so I think that um, we've been chatting for some time and we've covered a lot. Was there anything um, in the Toronto hockey space that we didn't touch on that anyone wanted to throw out there as sort of like a last call, last call for hockey news on this Friday night? John, did I miss anything important? Well, do we want to discuss Taylor Hall to the Leafs? No, I don't think we do. So we'll, no, we'll save them no, for another day. <laughs> Um, on that note, and, and in case you can't tell, because, you know, John is very expressive, that was him joking. Um, <laughs> he loves me. It's okay. Um, thank you for joining us this Friday evening. Um, and thank you to our guests, Nick and Roxanne. This was a blast. We're so glad you could join us and we'll have to have you join us again. And, um, we will catch the game tomorrow, Saturday, as we wrap up the three-game series against Winnipeg. And then there is another game Sunday against Ottawa. And um, at some point, you'll be listening to this, and we will have new games and new stuff to talk about. But for now, that's all from us. And this is Channel 6, a Toronto hockey podcast. You can find us all at the Leafs Nation, at TLNDC on Twitter. And thanks for joining us.